Welcome to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. WellMed Radio will educate you about health and wellness for seniors and their families throughout Bear County and Central Texas. During the next hour, your hosts Ron Aaron and nurse practitioner Cora Zhuk will share information that will help you improve your health and wellness. And now, here's Ron Aaron and Cora Zhuk. Well, thank you very much and welcome to WellMed radio i'm ron aaron a little crosstalk going on here in the studio which is good everybody ought to get along welcome to a program that tries to bring you commentary news information help for seniors loved ones and their families our co-host Corey juke a nurse practitioner is here graduate of texas tech what do you say when i say that Guns up. there you yeah. go Reckham tech and uh, soon to be working on her doctorate as a nurse practitioner that's mm-hmm. cool and it's good to see you. Good to see you. I'm out running the show this time. And you brought us eggs. I did. I love when you bring <laughs> eggs. That is so cool. <laughs> and for those who don't know, if they are farm fresh, not washed, you just leave them on the kitchen counter. Right. So you don't wash off the bloom. And yeah, you can leave them on the kitchen counter and they're good for 90 days. Don't have to be refrigerated. That would be three months. Three months. Same as my refills on meds. There you go. <laughs> so I could keep track of it that way. There you go. But I hope you're eating more eggs than, than that. Come on, yes. Rod. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. And we'd like to welcome Dr. Greg Brown, who is our special guest today. He's in the WellMed Clinic in Seguin. Good to see you. Well, thank you. Good to see you, too. Graduate of UT Health, which used to be the UT Health Science Center. Yes, I went to it in the, in the good old days of the Health Science Center. And then did your residency in New Mexico. I did. And you said to me off the air, that seemed to be a good idea at the time. <laughs> <laughs> a tough place to live? It's a great place to visit. That's a nice way to put it. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you got back here as soon as you can. Good. I, I did. And if I'd known, I would have brought some green eggs for you, too. Oh. Now, what are green eggs? It's a different type of chicken. It, they're they're Easter chickens. eggs. And the shell is green? Yes. Really? Greenish, bluish. Yeah, they call them Easter eggs. They almost are like a Tiffany blue if you, if you no look at them. Mm-hmm. So are you raising chickens? I am. The ones that the raccoons don't get. Wow. So you're their free range. They're locked up, but those raccoons are smart. See, and our chickens, too, they're locked up at night, and then during the day, they come out and they get to, to wander. Right. Um, and it's funny, because as soon as the garage door goes up in the morning, those chickens are griping, and uh, they really do gripe at you and say, let me out. Now, we're going to actually get to medicine in a minute, but <laughs> what you need is Cora's husband to build you the Taj Mahal of chicken coops he built for them. I'm Sam? telling you, it's, yeah. it's amazing. It is. And no raccoons get in yours. No raccoons. In fact, we have quarter inch um, chicken wire and really into, maybe it's eighth inch actually. And there's no flies in my chicken coop nice. either. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. It's wow. neat. Yeah. So were you always into raising chickens or it's something you decided on later in life? Um, there's a backstory here. Yeah. You know, I thought I might go into farming originally. Some save the world, feed the world thing. But then I realize how hard that is. So oh, I keep, yeah. keep that stuff as a hobby. Yeah, it is hard work. Yeah. No doubt about it. Now, in your practice in, in Seguin, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about is chronic pain. And Cora sees it. Lots of people have it. How do you define it? What is chronic pain? That is a great question. Uh, so you know, the book is it's pain that lasts for longer than six months. Um, but it appears to be, and there's still, there's active research going on on this. We we clearly are not doing well with it. Um, uh, We're not treating it correctly, and a lot of that's because we don't know what it is. Um, So there's a theory that chronic pain is actually uh, substantially different than acute pain. It's not just that one pain that started and is now continuing, but it's actually a reaction of your entire nervous system uh, or oversensitization of the nervous system is one theory. My mother used to say, getting old is okay, except everything hurts. Oh, man. And it's, you know, it's really difficult for patients, too, because as providers, we hear they, them complain and complain over and over. We hear terms like fibromyalgia, different diseases like this, and there's so much stigma that is involved and, and put on that patient who is a chronic pain patient. Right. You're, you label them, and you right. say they're a chronic pain patient, and we almost think that it's in their head. But if you think about it, 
it, it truly is. It starts in the mind, and the right. mind recognizes as the CPU, the central processing unit of, of the entire system, that this is real. This is very real, and that's why now we call pain man- or pain measurement the next vital sign or the other vital sign. We not only check your blood pressure, and we check your pulse, and we check your respirations and your temperature, but now we also assess for your pain. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, and our special guest today, Dr. Greg Brown. He's at the Seguin Clinic for WellMed, and we're talking about chronic pain, which uh, you were telling me off the air, every provider sees that in their practice. Now, is it a function of older patients, or is it across the board? It's clearly across the board. Uh, Some estimates are that 100 million Americans suffer from chronic pain annually. Um, so that's, you know, about a, it's a big last number. I checked, about a third of our population. Um, now, of those, what, 15% or so, and that's up from a decade ago when it was more like 6 or 7%, uh, are on opiates. So the vast majority of them are not actually taking these so-called <laughs> ultimate pain relievers um, and getting along okay. How are they being treated? A variety of things. Yeah. Uh, so jumping right into how we treat this. Well, uh, so a patient will walk in. Yeah. You chit chat. Right. Uh, they've been suffering chronic pain. Is it specific to a, a part of their body or is it pain everywhere? And they say, you know, I, I, I need some hydrocodone. You, you need to help me here. This is right. killing me. Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's one presentation that's common enough. Uh, and as we were talking about off the air, a lot of that's because uh, both in the 1990s and in the 1890s, um, physicians were told, here is this cure-all thing. It's not going to cause any problems. It's only going to fix pain. Uh, and that's the, that was the opiates. Um, so with all good intention, um, for the most part, docs said, hey, I have something that can fix you. You can go out and live a normal life. But unfortunately, what happens with that, uh, with opiates specifically, is the tolerance and, and the dependence, which w- wasn't sold to us at the beginning. Tolerance um, meaning? Tolerance meaning that over time, the same dose won't do it for you any longer. So they need to up their dose and up their dose and right. up their dose. Exactly. And as we talked about in the green room before we, we, came, we came in to record, we, we talked about how we as providers started this. We are responsible for this. And so it is not acceptable for your primary care physician or nurse practitioner or physician assistant to just label you and try to push you off as a patient. That is not right. It's not It's not good medicine to practice that way. We did this to our patients, and now it's our responsibility to educate our patients about the epidemic and then also to help wean them off safely and slowly because just taking them off of these medications that they've been on for years is dangerous. Why? You can affect their health. You can send them into people. People have had seizures. People have had suicide attempts. They have mental disorders and diseases that can be caused from the lack of opioids in their system. And so you are playing a very dangerous game or playing with fire to just take that patient off of these opioids quickly. It's interesting. Dr. Brown, I recently had knee replacement surgery and I had hydrocodone prescribed, uh, which I took for a couple of weeks. I hated it. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I couldn't imagine continuing on it and was thrilled when I realized, hey, pain's gone, no more of this. And, and that brings up a great point because there will be people screaming at the radio right now, I, I need this stuff, this gives me a normal life, I can't live without it. Um, and, and that we're all different. That may be true for some folks. But for other folks, so some folks will take one dose, hits the magic button in their brain, and they, they'll want it for the rest of their lives. Other people probably the vast majority, you give them enough opiates for long enough and they will be both tolerant and dependent and it'll be difficult physically and probably emotionally to wean them off. Um, you know, yeah, for me, if, if I take uh, hydrocodone, I can't sleep. That happens sometimes. I couldn't but, sleep either. Right, other people swear. I was up in the middle of the night, uh, you know, right. I, I, <laughs> Googling and surfing the net, I, I just couldn't 
So it had that paradoxical effect. For me, it made me itch, you know, from head to toe. My skin was crawling. Really? And so I don't like it. You know, I had my shoulder, my rotator cuff repaired, and I did better with ibuprofen than I ever did with hydrocodone. Interesting. But that, that is where, you know, we as providers need to educate our patients and start slow or start at the lowest doses of things and see where we can work up to. Now, I'm not saying you have a total knee replacement and you just get ibuprofen. That obviously is is not going to be sufficient for some. For some, it might. But for others, they're saying, no, no, you can't take this away. I have to have it. You're, you're exactly right. But it affects everybody differently. I do have some patients who have been on it for a very long time and actually they they say I take one a day and this works for me and I've taken it for 10 years and I have no desire to stop because it does help my pain as long as they're not doing any illegal activity with their medications they're not buying it on the street that's correct they're not in violation of their pain contract with their PCP they're able to function they're able to um, have successful relationships then yes they're considered dependent on this medication but at the same time it's not doing any harm for them right now it's actually doing more good for this patient all right we need biochemistry 101 what does that drug do it doesn't Mm -hmm. cure the pain doesn't cure anything right right so you take a hydrocodone like when i had the knee surgery and i didn't feel the pain it was probably still there right right and when i was in my 20s probably because of a number of bad decisions, I herniated a disc in my neck. Um, got put on so much hydrocodone and soma back then that I, I'm not sure where my brain was. Um, didn't take away the pain for sure. I still felt it. Made it tolerable, made me not pay attention to it, calmed me down. Um, so the opiates specifically are going to act in a number of different ways. The uh, Generally speaking, they're going to change the transmission of pain peripherally, mainly change it the change the pain receptors in the brain. It's going to block the pain receptors in the brain and peripherally. It's also going to hit part of the pleasure center in the brain. So we get into this thing where we have a a nice little reward every time we take that pill, and over time, for some folks. A new little pain is going to make you think immediately, let me take that pill. You know, I never felt that pleasure center thing. Lucky man. But it's very interesting. You know, I love the story that you just tell because you were a patient who actually took this medication. And would you say that you became dependent on this medication over time? Yeah, there there were... I think I ended up being on it for months until I realized that if I just did my exercises, it would actually help. Um, and, and so I've become a true believer in physical therapy. Um, you know, at the time, uh, before surgery, I should have been doing physical therapy and, and wasn't. And then afterwards, I should have been and wasn't told to, and I didn't know any better at the time. Um, so, yeah, it, it, every time it wore off, things got worse. And it, it, to me, it seemed, for me, and again, everyone's different. For me, it was the perception got worse, um, but the pain was always there. The pain was always crippling. I couldn't turn my neck. Or now, by the perception, you mean? So my interpretation. So great. Yeah. Uh, so pain is one thing, and the Cartesian idea is that acute pain is something that tells us, "Hey, don't do that again." You know, touching your this hot stove or whatever. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> my wife and I. We have little kids, and she's deathly afraid they're going to touch a burner. I said, "It's okay." Part of the learning process. It's they okay. will not touch it again. <laughs> They'll only do it once. That's right. 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 And so it serves a purpose. We don't jump off the cliff twice or stick if our head in the fire. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and that's that's one theory. And that may or may not actually be what pain's for. Uh, and that's separate from suffering. So the suffering, like Cora said, is happening in our heads. Right. We don't get away from this world without pain. But we can control how we interpret it. And it's just so wonderful, though, as as a as a primary care physician, that you are able to share your experience with the patient and then also add the experience of this is what I did to get off of the medication. And I did engage in the physical therapy, which is something that we've talked about on prior shows. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM. The answer, our special guest, Dr. Greg Brown, grew up in Austin, Texas, now at the Seguin Clinic and... Uh, Cora Juke, our co-host, is here as well. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening.
to WellMed Radio. Carol Zornio, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS on air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we're talking about chronic pain, and millions of Americans complain about it, have it. Uh, How do you treat it? How do you diagnose it? How do you figure out how to at least alleviate some of that pain? With us is Dr. Greg Brown, a well-med provider at the Seguin Clinic, graduate of UT Health. When he went there, it was the UT Health Science Center, which is not that long ago because they just changed the name. <laughs> I don't, it's like uh, if you think about uh, folks who went to Texas State when it was Southwest Texas, so, uh, and many of them cling to that name, <laughs> my wife being one. Cora Juke, <laughs> our co-host, is here, a nurse practitioner, and we're talking about patients who come in talking about chronic pain. And you were mentioning, uh, Dr. Brown, uh, I asked you, well, what do those uh, opioids really do? Even though you said only about 15% of people are, are on those drugs who have chronic pain, uh, they don't fix anything. They mask the pain in some way. Right. And, and, and if they get you moving, then that may be a good use in a, for a short time. So, so tell us now about the historical perspective. You were sharing a little bit about it in the green room. Tell us about the historical pers- um, perspective of how we actually got here. Post-Civil War. Right. Yeah, so there's a, a very interesting podcast uh, talking about historical medical matters called Bedside Around. So I'm, I'm going to uh, sk- skim from, from Adam Rodman, uh, who, who does that one. Uh, yeah, so apparently post-Civil War. So let's see. Uh, morphine was isolated, uh, was purified from opium in the early 1800s. Um, the uh, hypodermic needle came shortly after, and suddenly that nasty-tasting crystal that they had gotten out of the opiate, opium poppy uh, became so- something you could shoot up and relieve pain, and as a result, something like, I don't know what, uh, f- 15 or 20% of doctors became addicted to it as, as well. Now, morphine really works. Th- it stops pain. At least your feeling of that pain. I'm thinking of the button when your you're in perspe- that hospital. It's pain. your perception right. of the pain. Right. Yeah, so they they all work essentially uh, on the same pathways peripherally and in your your brain uh, and spinal cord. And uh, again, Prozac might work for me and not for you and uh, a different antidepressant might work for you and not for me. Uh, same with the opioids. Uh, they're all slightly different molecules. Same with the NSAIDs, the the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen and naproxen. I'm pro naproxen by the way. Um, so all, all these may work better for one person or another. Someone again may take a Norco and feel like all the pains melted away. Other people may take morphine and it doesn't do a thing; just makes them constipated and itchy. Um, yeah, it does make you constipated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they they pretty much all do that. Interesting. Um, Well, they slow everything down. They even slow your breathing down as well, which is a danger to taking too many of the opioids. Um, So, yeah, by the Civil War, we had morphine that could be shot up. Um, And so by the 1890s or so, and between the Civil War and then, we had a lot of snake oil salesmen um, and actual things similar to the pill mills where folks with pain or by that point, addiction um, could go and get their meds, and there was not really a prescription system at that point. There was no regulation. Right. So laudanum was very popular. That was some kind of tincture of opium mixed with alcohol, and it wasn't controlled. So, uh, you know, grandma's um, snake oil uh, or or Fred's snake oil might be slightly different. Um, But it it, it was 
the opiates were effective. And before that, what we were doing, we were bleeding people and um, giving them purgatives to make them throw up or, or... Really? Yeah, yeah. Get rid of all those nasty humors. And so here was something that could actually really relieve suffering. And so it really was used both appropriately and, and inappropriately by the folks who, who, who could sell it. You said a lot of uh, Civil War... Uh, soldiers would use some of those drugs. Yeah, so um, not unlike uh, the, these days, it was called the soldier's disease uh, by some. Mm. And, you know, we've, I worked at the VA for a while, and uh, certainly we, we've got a lot of folks who were giving lots of different kinds of pain medications, whether too many NSAIDs or, or too many opioids, and then we got them at the, the VA, and uh, it did, didn't help with coming home at all. Uh, so what, what happened to get rid of that crisis was, um, one, a, a, as he mentions, a lot of the, the folks who were chronically addicted died. Um, but, but <laughs> that also, lessens demand. <laughs> right. It, it does. It does. <laughs> uh, but also there was a, a tightening up. There, there was uh, a legislative act that came a little bit late, but it, it, it started making it harder to prescribe things without, outside of the system. Um, it did make the snake oil start labeling their products and not being al- allowed to put in uh, toxic products. Uh, and so it slowed down and kind of disappeared. Uh, med school got more serious at that point about uh, teaching. The Fleischner report that said we're not doing a good job came out, and, and the, the serious med schools back then that were really just starting uh, to create themselves got programs together, started teaching people right and wrong in medicine based on evidence even occasionally. Um, and so that really helped. It, it was actually a new generation of physicians that said, we're being lazy by prescribing opioids. We need to find other things to, to treat these patients with. Um, again, not un, unlike today. You know, I, I, I by no means want to badmouth the folks who, in again, in all good intent, were trying to alleviate suffering. And there's a moral argument to be made for, for treating pain, right? If someone is suffering in front of you, you, you are, are you not doing them harm by, by turning your back on that? In fact, uh, a, a friend of mine who passed away not too long ago, Dr. Robert Nett, uh, he was a pharmacist and an MD specialized in uh, headaches and migraines and treating pain. He said, unfortunately, there were a lot of physicians under-prescribing. Right. Right. And that's, that's at least a theory. But so... I think this is a good time to point out that opiates are not our only treatment for chronic pain and are arguably not even a good treatment for chronic pain. There's no study that shows that opiates are effective more than six months. Um, Because after the six months, you need more and more and more in order to get the relief that you had prior to that. Right. And again, there's lots of research going on. So some of it's tolerance. Um, some of it are, are the negative effects on our hormones. Uh, so if you take a certain amount, you have, a, a, I think it's, 50 morphine equivalent or morphine equivalents um, in the literature, you have twice the chance of breaking a bone. Um, erectile dysfunction, which was known in the Renaissance uh, by folks who took too much opium, um, and sleep problems, mood problems, people chasing the dragon, so to speak. Right. Um, I mean, you really hear about, you hear from family members who bring their families, family members to your office. They, their personalities have changed right. because of this. And, and not only just the medications have caused the personality changes, but then going without the medication causes another swing in the personality. Right. And I think about my grandmother. My grandmother is significantly osteoporotic. I mean, what does that mean? one of these people that can roll over in bed, her, her bones are like Chantilly lace. So when she rolls over in bed, she actually fractured several vertebrae. It, mm. Was awful, and you know, at this time they were doing um, the cement in the in yep. the vertebrae, which actually has been studied to say, you know, it's it's no different than the sham procedure, which basically not doing it at right. all. And, and yet, it's coming back again. It is coming back, and and so yeah, and so she has been. When she got out of the hospital after her first fracture, they actually told they put her on 
Oxycontin. And this is the small, very frail woman who had never taken anything. And so they give her this Oxycontin and she saw spiders on, on the wall. Right. And my grandfather calls me and he says, Cora, I don't know what's going on with her. You've got to help me. And so we came, I came over, I assessed her and I said, well, what is she taking? This is, this is odd. So she was hallucinating. And she was hallucinating and, and he, and one pill and he shows it to me and I said, we got to stop. We can't do this. So we called and, and looked for alternatives. She ended up with a spinal cord stimulator and other things which really didn't help at all either and now we're back on chronic pain medication when I was in school we also studied something called complementary alternative medicine which is actually making a huge comeback not only is it different therapies but now in the news media and in different states we're seeing medicinal marijuana also coming back as a, or coming in as a complementary alternative and i know i kind of see you kind of cringe but it's one of those things i think we have to talk about yeah, but we don't know what he's growing on that farm <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about um when we're talking about chronic pain because so many of our patients are starting to ask about this now right. and that may that may and have anecdotally a people right. say it reduces pain. Right. Yes. I, I, and I have a couple of patients who somehow are getting hold of whatever this, the so-called CBD oil is that's out there that right. cannot possibly be. But Right. Because it's not controlled at all. Right. I, I'm a little confused about that, but they, they love it. Um, but, okay. So, but you wonder, is it all mental? Uh, right. And, and, and so this is, again, us taking pills or substances to try to make, try to tell ourselves a story that things are getting better. Mm-hmm. And... This is a really complicated... Most like placebos often work in trials. They, uh, they work all the time. Um, when you're a kid and you get a scratch on your knee and it really hurts... And mommy kisses your it. mom kisses it and, and the puts band-aid. a Band-Aid on it and then go and distracts you with play again, it's gone. Right. The pain is pain gone. Pain is gone. Right. The complementary alternative medicines, I, I, what my study was, um, and this was in my master's program, I actually had to write a thesis on the complementary alternative therapy. And mine was on pain reduction, post-surgical procedures. Mm-hmm. That's where I did most of my nursing. Um with music therapy and distracting patients and, and putting headphones on them while they're waking up in recovery room. And we actually found a significant reduction for, I mean, major procedures, total knees, total hips, spine procedures with patients waking up. And they got to choose. They got to choose their their music. And it was amazing the amount of opioid reduction that we actually saw that was given. So it is true. Distraction, using other therapies. But as providers, we take the lazy man's way so many times and say, let me write this prescription, take this, I'll see you later. We'll talk more about this in a moment. But for folks just joining us, I want to remind you, you're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke, and our special guest, Dr. Greg Brown. He practices at the WellMed Clinic in Seguin, graduate of UT Health, and did his residency in the great state of New Mexico. Grew up in Austin and happy to be back to Texas. I am indeed. Every Texan comes back. <laughs> Every, uh, if I have a friend uh, who marries, you know, maybe they're living in California, who knows, and they marry a Texan, I will say to them, you will be in Texas. <laughs> well, it's always been said, too, and you're, you're living proof. If you marry a Texas woman, you are going to live in Texas. Yeah, we're not moving anywhere. No. <laughs> no. That is for sure. There's no Texas person that's going to move to Ohio. So, <laughs> so what about hypnosis as a way to uh, uh, treat the problem? Because what I hear you saying is uh, chronic pain, well, all pain uh, is felt in the brain, and it's, uh, uh, your brain is diagnosing and uh, sending signals and saying, hey, this hurts, and so you say, hey, this hurts. But what about uh, hypnosis as a way to uh, deal with reducing the uh, sense of pain? I actually don't know the answer to that question. Um, But does it work for the person? That would be the question. I would say it's a harmless thing to try, Uh, and that's important. We we have lots of harmful things that we can do to folks. Um, Right now, there, there is just poor research, poor evidence for almost everything for chronic pain. Because no one's looking at it or... Well, th- there there's actually, no money in it. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and until the 90s and this push by um, companies that are now being sued by San Antonio and uh, other cities and st- states, I believe, um, until there's this push for opioids, what did we have? I mean, we had about a third of the people who are now being prescribed, I think, uh, who were being prescribed opioids back then. Um, what really seems to work the best is a program, 
It's got to be because chronic pain is is complicated. Uh, you need you, you can't just have one. I, I think you just can't have one provider working with them and and giving them a pill or a plan even. Um, but there's there's a concept called functional rehab, um, which you can get if you have workman's comp or if you're rich. Uh, but it's a multidisciplinary approach to pain and lack of function, importantly, uh, that uses physicians, uh, psychiatrists or psychologists, nurses, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists. Um, multidisciplinary. It is. And it, it has good evidence behind it uh, for getting people back to work, uh, for getting people off the chair. Because uh, right now, it, it, if I am, as a provider say, okay, you're coming to me, you've had this pain forever, here's a pill, it'll make the pain go away for a little while at least, maybe you can get up. It's also going to calm them or comfort them enough unless they're very motivated. And I know there are people who will say that it, they take the one pill a day or they take the four pills a day and it allows them to have a high-pressure job and, and all this. And I, I'm, I'm sure that is true, at least for them. Um, but for most folks, I'm giving them something that makes them feel okay about sitting down and watching TV uh, and may calm some emotional component to it because uh, clearly opiates have a, a, an effect on our anxiety, um, both positively when we're taking it and negatively when it's get, leaving our body. So if instead of that we focus on function, we focus on I want to get you out of your chair. I want to get you seeing your grandkids again. I want to at least get you enjoying your grandkids when they come over, um, for instance, or, or, or getting back to work. Uh, if we focus on that, then we're not going to just use one approach, and we're not going to use just opioids, uh, certainly. Well, we're created with muscles. We're created right. with these muscles, and, and they're not meant for just sitting around. Our muscles are meant to support our bones and to keep our bones healthy and and protection. And so when we're using them, you can actually reduce pain by Absolutely. limbering up your own system. And so I sit down with the patient and I say, what haven't you done? We've You've taken pills and you're saying, to, you're telling me that you're still hurting. What haven't you done? Now, I don't expect patients to go to do CrossFit or to go run a marathon, but to get out and walk, not only just the exercise, the socialization, that is distraction, the sunshine, because the sunshine, if, of course, wearing some type of sunscreen too, because we don't want harmful UV rays, <laughs> well, but not, getting not their vitamin much, D. Because we need our vitamin D, right? We need our vitamin D um, <laughs> to strengthen the bones, to prevent osteoporosis. But you ha there's there's more than just going to a gym and exercising. It exercise can be doing anything, but is it is the engagement socially, physically, and it, there's nobody that will ever say after a workout, any type of workout, I regret doing that. Now they might get sore, you know, but th the muscle soreness is because we're not doing it enough. We're not exercising enough, but it, you feel good. The endorphins start to flow after exercise. So we try so hard to educate our patients about the importance of movement. After your total knee, if you would have sat in bed, you wouldn't be walking today. Right. Your muscles would become frozen and you wouldn't be moving. So the first thing that they do, day one, up. get you up. Yeah, That's exactly, exactly right. I uh, am one who believes that uh, the Food and Drug Administration uh, should ban TV remotes because <laughs> that, if you go back to when they first came on, uh, what did they do? They made us couch potatoes. Right. Right. In the old days, your parents were couch potatoes because they had children to say, go change sure. the television. Sure. <laughs> well, if we do that, we have to ban Netflix also and, and streaming services. And oh, I don't want to ban commercial free And TV. phones <laughs> and phones. I mean, we yeah. become such an inactive population because we sit and use our phone. Yeah, that's uh, that's really well said, both of y'all. Um, yeah, and, and right. So people in chronic pain often are to some degree isolated, uh, and that plays a big part of it. And sedentary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have have uh, who wants to hang around with someone who has chronic pain? Exactly, and it's usually somebody else who has chronic pain. They say misery loves company. That was my late aunt Reva, and that's yeah. <laughs> she complained. No, no one in the family wanted to be around her, right? Because she complained constantly. Right. So let's play act. Aunt Reva walks into Dr. Brown's <laughs> office and says, you know, when I was a kid. No, uh, I want to hear it I in the Jewish dancer. accent. Come on. <laughs> I want to hear I, it. I, I was a dancer. Uh, I was active. 
and now I can't do anything because it hurts. My whole body hurts. What do you tell her? Give me a pill. It'll make me feel better. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so. Poor Aunt Riva. <laughs> yeah, poor Aunt Riva. <laughs> wow, that really does suck. Yeah, uh, it does. Yeah, and, and absolutely. And it's not something that we're, we're going to get you out of right away. Uh, but by moving, I mean, none of us are 20 years old anymore. Uh, if I go try and run, if I go and try to run even 30 minutes today, I would probably regret it for, for days. And Aunt Riva would never go back to exercise again. Right. And that's what happens a lot when folks go to PT. So maybe she's tried that before. She said it doesn't work for me or they hurt me or whatever. My grandmother, when she went to PT, she would touch her toes all of a sudden and then regret that for days. Because <laughs> yeah. She, she, she showed off really well. But uh, uh, So there's a thing called graded exercise therapy that would help someone who has, particularly someone who's been active before and remembers how that is, has some memory in their body of that. You must have some muscle memory, right? Right. Absolutely. The whole riding the bike thing. Um, you, you never forget how to crash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, so, so graded therapy is starting, particularly in, in someone who's who's really in, in fair distress every day with the, the pain, the cracking, and and all that. And probably someone has told them she, she has bone on bone in her knees or something like that. Uh, start by walking thirty seconds a day. Say every day at ten o'clock in the morning, or in Texas, probably seven in the morning or nine at night. Um, I'm going to walk 30 seconds. Do that for two or three days, then start walking 45 seconds. I mean, something that seems ridiculously low, but we have time. Over six months, you'll be walking 20 minutes, 30 minutes. You just have to sneak up on it, and that's how we get people. Now she could have done that, I'm sure. Right. Right. And, and but back then and nobody was looking at that as a and a lot solution. of times the chronic right. pain tells you that you can't do anything. Right. It tells you you're you're worthless. You need to sit there and right. you need to dwell. And and there's de- there's a depression that mm-hmm. is associated. And and we talk with these chronic pain patients, and we start labeling them with major depressive disorder as well because mm-hmm. what came first? We sometimes you don't know. But if I if I were sitting on my sofa in chronic pain it would depress me. And the depression would make the, the chronic pain worse over time. So it's this vicious circle that the patient gets into. And as providers, we have uh, we have a moral and ethical responsibility to that patient to help with that. We've got to work right. with them, whether it's counseling, you know, exercise, whatever it is. The other thing is water therapy. You know, it's we, we don't talk about water therapy enough. I did notice that there's a few hotels in the San Antonio area that have indoor pools who are actually contracting with some some um, instructors to offer free exercise. And, you know, not only are they offering the exercise, but it, they're promoting their hotel as well. And by law, they have to have the handicap access to be able to get into the pool. Because some people, I've had patients that say, I'm afraid to get into the pool because right. I'm afraid I can't get out of the pool. But by going to the hotels, they actually have the chair that you can right, sit in and also. get you right. in and out. And this is this is really sparking an interest for a lot of our patients in in water therapy. And anyone can exercise in water. It now, before good. my uh, surgery, I walked uh, in a pool. Right. And uh, Dr. Pontius said I can start that again now. It's been several months since the surgery, and I'm uh, beginning to do that because I enjoy it. Uh, in the pool, I'm Johnny Unitas again. I'm, you know, whoever you want to think about uh, because it's so uh, re- reducing pain that you may have. The water supports and cradles your body. Right. And So back to Aunt Reva. Yeah. Now, you're going to get her inching up 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Right. What, what about you had mentioned uh, NSAIDs and uh, ibuprofen and, and uh, other medication over the counter. What would you recommend to her? Right. Uh, or not. Yeah, so it depends a little bit on her kidney function. Uh, so I- NSAIDs uh, can mess with our stomachs. They can cause stomach bleeds. They can. Well, she was Russian. She had, okay, you know. Okay, so she can do you, anything. She could do okay. anything, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the kidneys. Uh, so a- at least with extended use and if you let yourself get dehydrated uh, with it, you're, g- you're likely to do a little bit of damage to your kidneys. Um, different people have different tolerances for that. And, uh, you know, I was reading some comment on some story online where someone was saying, my doctor didn't gave me these things and I have stage three kidney disease, which 
probably the, nephrolo- the nephrologist will probably yell at me, but but that's because you're not 20 anymore. And also chronic <laughs> disease. You know, they, they discount the fact that maybe their hypertension or their diabetes also contributed to this chronic disease. Their their lifestyle has contributed to the chronic And if we get them disease. moving, we'll actually do their entire body a lot Absolutely. more good than any Absolutely. little use of a pill will be. Will. Um, the FDA, I just saw they just added a warning to naproxen equal to ibuprofen about cardiovascular risk, which as far as I know isn't actually backed up in the research. Naproxen, uh, from what I've read, and there's, again, small studies, not great evidence, uh, actually may be on the beneficial side. It may have more of an antiplatelet effect, more like aspirin, than the other NSAIDs. Now, what is naproxen? So naproxen is a leave. That's the brand name. Okay. So it's an anti-inflammatory. And with chronic osteoarthritis, a lot of it is just gravity and time, wear and tear, degeneration of the tissue over time. Uh, but the flares certainly are, have an inflammatory component. And Tylenol isn't really going to help with that much. Opiates will not help with that. But the anti-inflammatories actually will calm it down. Absolutely. And, you know, I I used to work with a physician who, instead of using opioid therapy, I mean, she would really talk up the the NSAID. She would, I mean, she put it in their mind that this was going to be the best thing that they've ever done. And so the patient started to believe that. A placebo effect, if you will, but Mm -hmm. it it a real effect as well. So she'd tell them about the opioids, I mean, I'm sorry, the NSAIDs, and then she'd say... And for the pain, we're going to do this extended-release Tylenol. Right. So the patient was using these two in conjunction, and we had so many patients that didn't have to use their opioids. Yeah, there was just an ER study that was published in JAMA late last year, I think. Mm-hmm. Journal uh, of the American Medical Association. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it showed that in a double-blinded study, they just had white pills. They did one. There were two or three types of opioids with Tylenol and then one with ibuprofen and, and Tylenol. I think it was 400 ibuprofen, and they were equal. And, and this was in people who had their some limb in injury that would require an X-ray. So something decently severe. Right. Uh, or that the docs thought was decently severe when they walked into the ER. And they would get one of these pills, and the effect on function and pain was the same. And you're exactly right. Reducing the the swelling right. reduces the pressure on the nerves and reduces right. the right. pain. The same with, the, you know, I was telling Roland about my son um, having a small fracture right at his ischial tuberosity right at the at the leg where the ligament had actually separated mm. um, due to a, a squat. He was squatting mm. weight. And, you know, all, all the doctor told him was take some ibuprofen and do these stretches and these exercises exercises don't do any hard running or, or protect your body and hunter says you know i don't have any pain I, I took this ibuprofen and there's just no pain at all and i'm this is wonderful right. these medications they work and as long as we as pcps are monitoring their their kidney function and and monitoring their disease and monitoring their activity i think we can have such a significant impact on their chronic pain now uh, ibuprofen versus acetaminophen Right. So acetaminophen or Tylenol uh, is not an anti-inflammatory as far as we know. It may have some central effects on the brain. I mean, I I have a lot of patients who take it to help them sleep, just plain Tylenol. Uh, Really? Yeah. In the nursing homes, they also use it as well. Mm -hmm. I've started doing it. I'm pretty sure it's placebo for me, but hey, it works. what What about it makes you drowsy? I'm not sure. But sometimes just the relaxation of not having any type of pain as well can also help you to sleep better. I think that's real reasonable. <laughs> well, it beats slugging down that cough medicine oh, that yeah. folks do. Yeah, oh. right. And so a lot of that, just as an aside, has Benadryl, which is anticholinergic, and that, like a lot of the overactive bladder meds and some of the GI meds, all have been associated with a higher risk of dementia. In fact, I said to my wife, we take Claritin, and uh, uh, we ran out, and she went to the store and bought allergy pills and brought mm-hmm. them home. And I always read the label, and I said, I really can't take this. It's Benadryl. Mm-hmm. Right. And she said, well, why not? Because it will kill me. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll get Claritin. Right. Yeah, so uh, yeah. So that's basically an aside. Um, Maybe she was trying to. There you go. Oh. Hmm. And I people always wonder that. after taking Check Benadryl. Check that insurance policy. <laughs> people <laughs> always ask about taking Benadryl, too. It, when you say talk about the anticholinergic effects, it makes people so dry. You're right. so thirsty. It just dries you out completely. And it almost gives you that hungover effect the next day. I know when I've taken it for allergy attacks, um, I can't function. I feel like I'm in a fog. So I understand how you can develop dementia from that over time. I mean, basically, you're drying out your brain. Really? 
Wow. We'll come back to that in just a minute. I don't want dry brain. <laughs> right. No one does. <laughs> Clearly. Good juicy brain. <laughs> I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Cora Juke. We're talking with Dr. Greg Brown, who's at the WellMed Clinic in Seguin. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. Carol Zorniel, we talk a lot about caregiving on Caregiver SOS on air, but what is it? Caregiving is caring for a family member, a friend, a loved one, someone who's in your life that needs help with bathing, dressing, buying groceries, medical appointments. If you do any of those things, you're a caregiver. And how can this program help? Caregiver SOS On Air has information from people who have been caregivers, who work with caregivers. It can be book authors, scientists, doctors, the latest information on caregiving right here on KLUP. And one of the things we learn from so many folks is they fail to ask for help when they need it. Well, caregivers do need help. We don't like to ask for help, but we need it. And you'll get tips on how to ask for help and how to have a better life as a family caregiver. Plus, there's a great website you can go to, caregiversos.org. Caregiver SOS on air, Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. You're listening to WellMed Radio on 930 a.m., The Answer. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Cora Juke. We come to you every week, and you hear us Sundays at 5 p.m. We have podcasts of all of our shows available as well. And we encourage you to take those, listen to those, and they may provide you the kind of information that might make your life a little better. We're talking with Dr. Greg Brown, who is with the Wellmed Clinic in Seguin. Uh, you were mentioning that there are a lot of things that are being prescribed and recommended to folks uh, to deal with chronic pain that don't work. Oh, right. Uh yeah, unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier, there's just there's just poor evidence. So some things may work, some things may not, some things may be essentially placebo, uh, some things may do harm, um, and you'll find them offered to folks with chronic pain every day. Um, so uh, of these things that really have no evidence behind them, um, the uh, rhizotomy or the the nerve ablations that are often done for peripheral nerve pain. Uh, zero evidence means cutting yeah cutting or burning often it's radio frequency sometimes it's chemical um sometimes it's actually accidentally done with a with a cut in a surgery um which actually has been documented to lead to more pain so uh (laughs) anyways there's there's no solid evidence that it's any better than a sham procedure uh same thing with the epidural steroid injections the steroids into the into the spine or around the spine uh, or around the nerves from the spine, uh, rather. Uh, no evidence that it's any better than getting an injection of salt water there. Because some pain management docs specialize in those epidural shots. Yeah, and, and uh, again, we're, we're trying to help. And a lot of patients will walk away saying that was great. Um, but when you put it into studies, it doesn't bear uh, out that it's any more powerful than a, a placebo. Um, which may mean an uh, injection of steroid might be a fine thing. Um, they've done studies on larger joints, like knee joints, showing that you get a steroid injection there, you have a measurable reduction in the volume of your cartilage in, in the knee. Oh, yeah, um, it deteriorates it right. over time, and that's right. why they say you can't get so many of them. Right. Can you tell us about some of the things so that you do, because we don't have a whole lot of time left, can you tell us about what you can do, um, some other alternative therapies besides the injections and, and the things that could potentially harm the patient? Right. There's ac- there's ac- Particularly for back pain, there's actually decent evidence for chiropractic, for spinal manipulation. Um, I, that scares me, but a lot of folks enjoy it and, and again decent re- research there is good research for improved function and pain with NSAIDs like we were talking about and Tylenol um, and clearly with chronic use they are better than opioids opioids are actually in studies not better than placebo for, for long term use um, for function or pain um, what else uh, um, oh the spinal stimulators the, the, it's mixed evidence for the spinal stimulators and that goes along with my personal experience I'm about 50-50 sometimes they end up in the wrong place sometimes they seem to be a life changer for, for a patient um, physical therapy good evidence um, CBT the results based therapy CBT? CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy um, it's one of the talk therapies that actually work and is meant to be short 
So this functional rehab that I was talking about usually uses CBT as well as physical therapy and OT. It's a program that'll last six to 12 weeks instead of taking this pill and, and potentially ending up on the couch or slowly deteriorating over years and costing a lot of money as you get these injections and various procedures right. that, that have not been proven to be good for us. So before we run out of time, yeah. how, how does a patient know what to do, what to ask? Right. Because if they're fortunate to see you, uh, you've got a pretty good handle on chronic pain management and therapies. Uh, but they don't know. Right. So there's, there's the Internet. Um, there's an Institute for Chronic Pain, which has, a whole, which has a whole bunch of consolidated evidence for all these things. And you can read up and, and, and get a good idea of, of what's uh, available Institute and what's proven. Institute for Chronic Pain. Institute for Chronic Pain. Um, because we know Dr. Google is not always right. 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 Yes, apparently right now Facebook is saying metformin is a terrible, terrible drug, and I have no idea why that is. Which is a drug to treat diabetes. Yeah, it's one of the best and oldest and safest. Um, but there's something to be said about the relationship between the patient and the PCP, the, the being able to discuss. There's also exactly something right. that can be said about just touch itself and, and listening right. to your patient. You may not prescribe anything for your patient that day. It may all be because patients like to come in and they like to get a prescription or else they feel like if you told them over the counter, they just didn't get their money's worth. But if you, if you talk to your patient and you sit down and you touch your patient, sometimes that has the most impact on your patient is just the touch and, and the caring and having somebody that actually listens to them. So patients come in and they talk about their chronic pain. The provider has a responsibility to listen and to use evidence to, for the patient to help that individual patient try different alternative therapies before pulling out the opioid arsenal. Now, are you looking for more patients on your panel? Oh, we always are. So if folks uh, want to talk to you and, and meet you, just head to the Wellmed Clinic in Seguin on what street? It is on Court Street in Seguin. It's on Court and 123 right across from HEB. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. This has been fun. Yeah, real pleasure. And educational. So that's great. Well, thank you. Appreciate it very much. We're flat out of time. Cora Juke, thank you very much. I'm Ron Aaron. This is Wellmed Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been enjoying WellMed Radio, an exclusive presentation of WellMed Medical Management. Join us next week for more on your health and well-being. For more information on WellMed or to hear this broadcast again, go to wellmedmedicalgroup.com. We'll see you next week on WellMed Radio.